You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey everybody, I'm Adam. And I'm Matt. And we are Graveyard Tales. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy from Hillbilly Horror Stories. We want to invite you out to see us, Hillbilly Horror Stories, EVP Mediums, and Macabre Melts at our live event in Nashville on October 20th. This paranormal event is at the perfect location, Hell Dark Aesthetics, better known as... Hell Nashville. Where you can buy books on witchcraft, Aleister Crowley, or maybe you just want to buy an animal skull or a bundle of sage, maybe some tarot cards, or a Ouija board. Showtime is 7 p.m. till 11 p.m. All ages are welcome, and tickets are only $10. Now, you can get full access to all of us for just $10. Every ticket is a VIP ticket. And EVP Mediums will be performing a Spirit Box session. Get your tickets from hillbillyhorrorstories.com or graveyardpodcast.com. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 110 Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. Hey guys, how you guys doing? We're getting so excited because fall is upon us. It is. And, and it's been raining like a mofo for the and, last two days. who is this that's speaking? Oh, it's well, if they don't know by now, I don't even know what to say. It could be somebody listening to their very first show. Aw. Hey, guys. My name is Tracy. <laughs> so, we had a, a fun weekend. We did. We did have a fun weekend. Had uh, an awesome time at work, which <laughs> is odd. Which is but, very odd for Jer. But I did. And then um, finished the weekend off with a fantastic... University of Kentucky went over Florida oh, to snap yeah. a 31-year streak Isn't of that losing. crazy? 31 years. Last time we won, I had just graduated high school, and I'm 50. Mm-hmm. That puts it all in perspective. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, it was a miracle. And just the guys look so good and played so great, and all I can say is it's a bad thing time. Yep. I mean, I was just getting out of high school. Tracy was celebrating her 35th birthday. I mean, it was <laughs> magical. Really? <laughs> I don't believe that's the case, but but anyway, good job, cats. We want to, uh, real quick, before we uh, get into the show, and we do have a really good show tonight, even though somebody left a, a review one time that said, I said every show's a good show, and they're just not. That's what the review <laughs> said. I'm sorry, but I personally think these are all good shows, so yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I don't come on here and say, we got a really crappy show for you tonight, and well, hopefully you'll listen, but if yeah. not, but... Anyway, I, I do think we got one. I do think we we've like. got a good show for you tonight, and it's you know how we keep track, or at least I keep track of stupid stuff like how many pages of notes I had. This page, this has the most pages of notes of any show we've ever done. Good for you. So that's not good for me. It took four and a half hours to write out. Yeah, well, you're slow. Four and a half hours. No, I'm not slow. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I wanted to obviously thank all of our military, civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for all you do. God bless each and every one of you guys. 
keep up the great work for keeping us safe. We'll pray for you. Also, a couple, couple of um, just sad things happen. I, I see stuff in the news, Facebook and stuff all the time. And obviously, you know, I've seen a couple of people on Facebook this week that weren't people that I personally known, but they had taken their own life. And anytime you see that, it just makes you think, man, that's that's somebody that I can't help but think that under the proper support or just having somebody talk to that they might have went a different direction. You never know. I mean, but it just it just always brings me to that point where I just want to say, hey, there's people out there to talk to. If you ever get to that point where you just feel like ending it all, trust me, there are people that will tell you how important that your life really is, even if you don't see it. Absolutely. And uh, so obviously we'd like to give out the suicide hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. That's here in the U.S. If you're more of a texter, we've got the text line, which is 741-741. And as usual, you can send us a message. You can talk to us. You can talk to anybody in our group. So I advise everybody to join our Facebook group. You do not know how much fun that group is and how supportive and positive a group it is. There is zero drama, and it's nothing but people supporting others. If you want to share a story, it doesn't have to be paranormal. It could just be about you, and uh, you'll find that you got a lot of people who are willing to comment on it and tell you how good things are. I know we had a, a listener that had a really bad day at work because somebody was weight-shaming her, and she had posted on it, and I bet she got over a hundred comments mm-hmm. of people telling her that she doesn't have to put up with that. She's a beautiful person and, and all that. That's what that group's about. And uh, it's also for people that are having a rough time. Yeah. We love you guys. While we're on that subject, that, that's all free stuff. That's all stuff that we're just all willing to do. If you feel like that you need a little more, um, I guess, a person that's professional, that's got schooling in this, training in this, degrees in this, most of you probably don't know this, but uh, Natasha, who heads up our group, she actually is a trained professional in that. That's amazing. She uh, has her own company that does. She helps with any kind of problem that you might be experiencing. It's all online, or you can do it like um, video chat, mm-hmm. or you could do it with phone calls. She's in Australia, but uh, she's got a company that actually does that. It's called Shoreline Counseling. Just give her a look. If you feel like you need a little more than what we can give you. Uh, give her a look and, and look her up on our Facebook group, shoot her a message, and she'll be more than happy to tell you what you need to go go through from there. Yes, that's true. She's an amazing person. We love her. I've got one more big thank you to do because I haven't done this enough uh, in the past. But I want to give a big shout out to Tanya Hines. First of all, she just had her year anniversary yeah. for her wedding uh, this past week. But also, since we went through the 100th, episode Mm -hmm. starting with episode 101 which i think was the alamo she has helped out every single week with the research Mm -hmm. and she does a remarkable job and i failed to mention her almost every episode and that's just completely my fault because she probably contributes as much as anybody does at this show at this point. Uh-huh. And we appreciate you, Tanya. Yeah, she definitely deserves to be noted. And when you get an episode like this one, that's going to be a good, long, very detailed episode. Mm-hmm. That's where it really comes into play with the the hard work that she put into. And I just want to make sure she got recognized before we got started. Thank you, girlfriend. We love you. All right. So as usual, we'll get to the iTunes and, and Patreon stuff a little bit later in the episode. Sounds and we good. will have a... Um, 
advertisement a little bit later from Casper Mattress because uh, they help us pay the bills and we appreciate them and they have awesome mattresses. So Absolutely. All right. So let's get into this. Tonight we're going to step out of the U.S. Okay. And talk about one of the most, I will say, talked about haunted locations in the entire world, Lep Castle. Like L-E-P? Well, no. like very much like. It's spelled L-E-A-P. Oh, okay. But they don't pronounce it leap. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. If you remember, we were uh, talking to uh, Lacey, who hosts the uh, Curious AF podcast. She's been to every one of our live remotes, she which has. is incredible. And she lives in Texas. Yes, I know. It's amazing. And she's coming to the next two, which is in Nashville and Cincinnati, which is awesome. But we were talking to her. She she spent some time over in uh, Ireland, and she said that they were correcting her on the pronunciation and she said oh, that in oh, ireland so she was saying it wrong yeah she, well everybody does because it's spelled l-e-a-p but yeah. she said they said in ireland they don't leap they lep uh, there <laughs> so you go. there we go so it's lep well it's good to know yeah because i really didn't know that until she told me uh-huh. i would have i've said leap yeah the whole time of course who thinks oa is gonna be silent i don't know i feel sorry about them singing 12 days of christmas because oh i don't know how they are about lords of lepin but <laughs> Lord's 11. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about this. It's in, it's in cool. I, I don't, I don't know how their states or, or provinces and stuff set up, but it's, it's in Coolberry County, Ireland. So I don't know how that works. Oh. It is what it is. Yeah. Anyway, the, this place deserves to be haunted if it's not haunted. I can tell you that oh, just, by, just by the history. <laughs> so do you want to hear about some of this dark history? I do. Good. I was banking on that because otherwise the other 29 pages I wrote would be just be, straight out yeah, the Yeah, you'd be yeah. talking to a ninja. Maybe he'll help you out. <laughs> Here's an interesting fact, though. Lep Castle is one of the longest continually inhabited castles in Ireland. So Sounds good so far. <laughs> that's just interesting. It's not hey. dark. So... It's thought to have been built around the 1500s by the O'Bannon clan. And we're going to talk a lot about clans tonight because that's what they had back in the day. So the O'Bannon clan was a secondary chieftain to the Carroll, O'Carroll clan. Okay. Now, what that basically means is we're going to go back in, in, in time a little bit. They were, uh, the the O'Carrolls were like the leaders mm-hmm. of, I guess, the entire country of Ireland at the time. And... So think of them kind of like kings, queens. They were the leaders. And the O'Bannons were like just a notch under them. So they took orders from them, but this day gave a bunch of orders to other people too. Mm-hmm. So they were second in charge, like a vice president or something. So it's thought that the current castle is possibly built over top of an earlier existing castle. So oh. that Yeah, so it depends on who you talk to. But there was a bunch of stuff I saw that they think that maybe in the 12, 1300s there was a castle there. And then this one came afterwards, and then there's some people think that this was the first. It's starting at 1500s. You mean they added on? No. I mean, no. Like, like there was one, and then there wasn't one. Oh, so they so, started over. Yeah, that's the way I took okay. it. Okay. But nobody knows for sure if that first one ever really existed or not. So it's also said that the castle itself is built on the site that uh, Druids used to use for initiation ceremonies. So if I you wonder know, what their initiations were like. Probably had to swallow goldfish and stuff like that, just oh, like that's in lame. college. <laughs> I have no idea. I probably should have looked that up. Well, because, yeah. But it might be a little bit different for you because the druids were, they were unique people, to say the least. So this makes sense because 
Leap Castle, no, I said it, Lep Castle, uh-huh. is actually positioned over top of uh, two ley lines that cross. And we hear a lot about ley lines on, on this show and paranormal stories and stuff like that. So if you're unfamiliar with what a ley line is, which is a ley line is L-E-Y, not L-E-Y. Uh-huh. But a ley line is basically an area where people say, you know, you've got your physical realm uh-huh. and then you've got the spiritual realm. And they feel like that there's like the cushion in between this is the thinnest where there's ley lines, which means there's more of an opportunity to cross over back and forth. Oh, so, you can jump from one place well, to another, yeah. like in the, in the, par- in the spiritual world? Kind of like portals and stuff like that. So you would see more ghosts and spirits and paranormal activity well, in those areas. What do you think areas. about that? Do you think it would be cool? Well, I think so. And and a lot of people say like Bobby Mackey's is on several ley lines around there. Oh, I didn't and know there's that. There's a lot of places. There's a lot of ley lines and stuff up mm-hmm. in uh, the Bridgewater Triangle and yeah. stuff like that. So. so what happens here is that, like I said, the permeability is uh, these natural energies allow entities to kind of manifest themselves uh, much more easily than in regular places. So okay. that's why these places tend to have more paranormal activity. So therefore, any thoughts on uh, or action at these places, whether it be positive or negative, has a much stronger uh, and a more focused effect than mm-hmm. it would anywhere else. So now you take the whole case of, of Lep Castle. You've got decades of compounded suffering and negativity and strong emotions and experiences, and they've definitely kind of left a mark on the atmosphere in and around the castle. So what is this suffering and negativity that I speak of? Well, it all started... (laughs) But then just snoring. (laughs) It all started way before the castle was ever built. So we told you that it was built on uh, by the O'Bannon clan. Two of the O'Bannon brothers were... I guess both trying to trying to be the chieftain, the leader right. of, of the clan, and they were arguing about it. And the only way they were going to settle this argument was for proving themselves through strength and bravery. So, what else would you do other than plan to jump off of a giant rock formation that the castle was right where it was getting ready to be built at, and the sci- survivor would be the leader? Oh, come on! Well, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But I mean, first of all, what if both of them died? Okay, yeah, right. Or both of them survived. I mean, then you're. So you got to jump what, again. Who, who's got the least injuries? Or... Yeah. <laughs> and for the record, I didn't find out exactly what happened after that. It just says that somewhere along the line, one of them did survive. Well, I mean, seriously, you think they could come up with something better than that? So one of them survived, and the castle was built basically, and it was fueled by blood and death right off the bat. So and who it, survived? I don't, it didn't say. Oh, it didn't say. It who just survived? said. It just said. I, Somebody did, apparently, because oh. it was built, and there you go. So Lep was used as a, as a uh, basically a stronghold for the O'Carroll clan after the fact. So they after the O'Bannons built it and was there for a while. The well, at least they didn't have to over. change the initial on the door. <laughs> Just O. Yeah. <laughs> That's one less thing to worry I'm, about. I'm going to bet they didn't have one. <laughs> so the castle was the best fortified in, in anywhere around there. So, I mean, as far as not being approached by visitors and, and uh, uh, war and stuff like that. They didn't have to worry about it. This was the best of the best. That's pretty much why the O'Carrolls kind of took it over. Oh. Now, the O'Carrolls themselves, they were a fierce and brutal group of people, as we're going to find out more and more. They were hell-bent on domination at all costs. Didn't matter. They were They were known for their ruthless acts, including killing anybody who stood in their way, even family members. So that's why nobody came to their door. <laughs> <laughs> probably that's so. probably the main reason, right? 
Well, we'll find out that even if nobody came to the door just on their own, they would find a way to get people through their doors. So that we're going to talk a lot about the, uh, the O'Carrolls in just a little bit, though. So I wanted to jump back into this. In 1642, an English soldier by the name of John Darby, he took the castle away from the O'Carrolls. He must have been a badass. I was going to say, how did he do that? Well, I think he was part of an English army and everything. But somehow or another, he he did. He, I mean, he was an English soldier, so he was part of the army. But he came in and did, there wasn't a lot of details mm-hmm. on the part I looked at. I'm sure there's plenty out there. And I'm sure we'll have several people call to tell me. Yeah, that'd be good. Exactly what the facts no, are and how I missed great. it and butchered it. and mm. <laughs> Anyway, but. But no, I'd be glad for them to do that. So the Darby family moved in. And uh, they did start doing a bunch of renovations over the year. Now, I'm jumping really ahead because this was like 1640s. Mm-hmm. And the renovations and stuff happened closer to like the late 1800s. So, I mean, but the Darby family kept the castle from 1642 all the way to 1922. Wow. Yeah, almost almost 300 years. In 1922, there was a huge fire that took place. Uh, it was from the IRA. I, I can't remember what that stands for. Irish Republic Army, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there was a, a big, big deal going on at the time. They went in. Now, the Darbys at the time were living in England. So the um, castle itself was a little bit vacant, just so to speak. You know, wouldn't, you know, there's still their stuff in there. But anyway, so the, the IRA came in and they burnt pretty much the whole thing from the inside down. This was a castle. It wasn't going to be burned down on the outside, but pretty much everything on the inside was completely gutted. Wow. So. Mrs. Darby, she actually gave it to a, a, another young lady who ended up having like a gangrene foot or something, and she ended up dying from it. So it kind of sat vacant until the 70s. You mean like she just gave it to her? Yeah. Just gave I it mean, to really, her. there's well, nothing I mean, it was, left. It was I mean, burnt out and everything. I guess yeah. She didn't want it. So it laid vacant until 1974, and that's when it was purchased by an Australian by the name of Peter Bartlett. Mm-hmm. Now, I say this because we'll get into it a little more, but there's actually another guy who owned it from 73 to the end of 74. So he owned it for about a year, year and a half. And, uh, but nothing really, mm-hmm. he didn't, I don't think he moved into it or anything. I was going to say he probably didn't do anything. Well, he, was, it, he, he was, no, he was staying there because his wife stayed there for a while. But we'll tell that story in a little bit. But so we'll jump ahead because I just kind of forgot him there at the beginning. And I remembered him, but I'll tell everybody when we get into it. So, and so this Australian, Peter Bartlett, buys it. Many renovations were started by him, and uh, that would continue all the way through still today. Oh, no way. So this place has been renovating from 74 all the way up. Good grief. Now, when Bartlett started the renovations, he ran them from 75 roughly all the way up to 1989, and then unfortunately, Mr. Bartlett passed away. Oh, that sucks. All the years, I mean, he didn't even get to see... Well, I mean, I'm sure he'd make well, some, you know. I guess so. And I'm sure something as big as this with as many rooms, I mean, you don't start doing little bits all over. You'll start with room One at a time, room at I'm a sure. Time. So he probably had a nice little setup by yeah. the time he was Yeah, oh, tours. I'm sure he did. So in 1991, musician Sean Ryan and his wife Ann purchased the place. And uh, they continue to do the renovations, which, like I said, they continue up to today because they're still the current owners. Oh, so, they're still yeah. the current owners. That's yeah. good. So they've lived there since 1991. So let's talk more about the O'Carroll clan and what they might have done to contribute to the hauntings here. So we already said that they were ruthless and they would stop at nothing to achieve domination. They would even employ other clans as mercenaries to go out and kill off nearby threats. So when the mercenaries would finish, you know, 
the deed, they were invited back to the castle for a feast in their honor. That's nice. So this is what happened to the O'Neill clan. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for the O'Neills, the feast was poisoned and (gasps) (laughs) their throats were cut. Oh my goodness. (laughs) What in the heck? 39 members of the O'Neill clan were thrown into the oubliette. What is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Me too. (laughs) This was a room that was in the castle. There's, well, there's a room in the castle known as the Bloody uh, Chapel. And it was inside there. So, we got a story about how the Bloody Chapel got its name coming up. But this is basically... Um, in the room, it's a sinister feature called the Oubliette. Mm-hmm. And that's French. And uh, it's a small chamber that's located in the northeastern corner of the Bloody Chapel. It's thought that the original purpose of this chamber was basically to store some valuables or to hide if, if for some reason the castle came under siege, kind of like a little panic room right. or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, the old Carols, however, used the chamber for a much more evil purpose. They modified the chamber to serve as a small dungeon where prisoners were thrown into, dead, alive, or dying. They just threw them in there. The entrance to the chamber was a narrow hole originally fitted with a trap door. So the word uh, oubliette comes from the French meaning to forget, which was appropriate because when they threw you in there, that's exactly what they did. They forgot about you. Aww. There was no feeding. There was no let's give you food and water. You were If you weren't dead, you were dying. That's terrible. I don't understand if they poisoned poisoned them why do they have to go and slice their throat open what's the well i mean you know i like how that whole thing that we just talked about that's what you got out of it well because it's it just seems (laughs) stupid that okay you know they're gonna die so what what's the point of of slitting their throat what is the point of that maybe they poisoned them and the poison just enabled them but it didn't kill them or wasn't gonna kill them People get on my darn nerves. Maybe they didn't have enough poison to do the deed, and they just had enough. You know, like sometimes you got to stretch the soup. You know, maybe they had thirty nine. They had thirty nine members of this clan that they killed. Maybe they thought there was only going to be twenty show up, and then they show up. And they're like, John, we don't have enough poison for everybody. What are we going to do? <laughs> just give them enough. They'll, they'll lounge around, and we'll slit their throat. Later. What horrible, horrible people they were. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, you haven't heard anything yet. Oh man. <laughs> In nineteen fifty nine, another. Deadly deed occurred at the castle by the O'Carrolls, of course. Charles O'Carroll, who was the last chieftain there of the O'Carrolls before the uh, uh, place was taken over by uh, the people we talked about earlier, yeah. the British people. So anyway, they were. He was at the war with the Earl of Tyrone, and he hired the MacMahon clan from uh, Monaghan to go in and be mercenaries. So we already know what that means. Yeah. Well, after they fought for him and did what they wanted to do, he, they got invited back to the castle for a feast. Guess what happened? Man. <laughs> what a bunch of punks. Well, they didn't poison them, though. What'd they do? They killed them in their sleep. They killed them while they were sleeping? Yeah. Like how? I don't know. But the McMahon clan is still supposedly haunts the Great Hall at the Lep Castle today. I would haunt their butts. So bad. And the rest of them, too. <laughs> so when the Darbys took over the castle uh, in the mid-1640s, the Ubalit, I just like saying that, 
was there, obviously, and it just stayed there because nobody knew anything about it. Now, I told you back in the late 1800s, they kind of started doing some renovations. Mm -hmm. So they went down there, and it said that they cleared out three cartloads of skeletons that they removed from that place. Oh, my gosh. It was an emotional shockwave that was sent to the castle, and many spirits were awoken from their dormancy at that point in time. So let's get back to the bloody chapel, because I told you I was going to tell you about that. So in 1532, there was a big fierce power struggle that took place there between the remaining O'Carroll family members. So both of them are, you know, I say both of them because there was two brothers, but it was it was basically a brother versus brother deal here. And uh, they were trying to decide once again who was going to be the chief. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, these people were so hell-bent on just power that they didn't care i mean how much power could they have possibly had yeah they had one guy come in and take the stuff away from them so it was like a mom and a dad that were living there no i think it was more than that i think it was a big group of people i just think it was a clan i mean like most Mm. of these other clans were like 30 or 40 people so i don't know why do you have why i mean why do people have so much hate in their brains have no idea. Insane Terrible. in the membrane. So, so you get these two brothers. They they were fighting against each other. And uh, the legend says that one of the old Carroll brothers, get this, he killed his other brother, who was a priest, while he was performing a mass in the upper hall of the castle. Like in front of everybody in church? Yes. Holy balls. It's, <laughs> it's believed that the priest started the mass before his brother arrived. And uh, that was a huge insult. So, the pissed off brother flew into a rage, stabbed his brother on sight. Oh my gosh, did anybody try to save him? Well, babe, I don't know that part. I know you don't. <laughs> what am I supposed to have? They called it EMS 911? <laughs> no, I, don't know. I mean and the people in the congregation. I have no idea. That is terrible. That's even worse, killing a priest. In a church. So it's said that the priest has been seen on many occasions there at the Bloody Chapel, but that's why they call it the Bloody Chapel. The Bloody Chapel. Chapel. Aww. And then, you know, there's people now that also say that, you know, what happened there that day, well, I'm going to get into that later in the show, so I'm not going to address it now. But, you know, just imagine you abruptly end a religious ceremony by stabbing the priest, Mm. that that's probably not going to... No. Do wonders for no. what's going on there. Yeah, that's just horrible. So his spirit has also been seen lurking on the stairways below and leaving the chapel through a western door to the bartizan, which I have no clue what a bartizan is, but it goes down to the northern stairs, apparently. Mm-hmm. So that's why they call it the bloody chapels we discussed. The haunted stories go all the way back on this one, though. I'm going to look up what is a bartizan. How do you spell it? <laughs> no, seriously. Well, it's fine. Okay, so what is a bartizan? A bartizan, an alteration of practicing, <laughs> also called a gurite, is an overhanging, wall-mounted turret projecting from the walls of late medieval and early modern fortifications from the early 14th century up to the 18th century. Okay, so it's a turret. Yeah, and it looks like... A penis. I don't think it does. I what do think you mean? It's, I think it looks like a turret, as most people will know what a turret is. Okay. Well, 
that looks like that other thing to me. Okay. Well. Made out of bricks. Maybe <laughs> maybe it probably does because you haven't seen one in a long time. It, yeah. I so anyways. Know what they look like. So let's go ahead and let's get, get back into the story. So like I said, the stories of the hauntings and stuff like that, they go way back. And we mentioned that the Darbys took over the castle in the mid-1600s and the 18, late 1600s. I mean, they start doing renovations and they start to see some strange things start to happen. Most of this is going to focus on Mildred Darby. And you're going to hear her name mentioned a lot for the rest of this. And I'll express my opinion at the end on why we hear her name a lot, but we'll see. So anyway, she heard noises like furniture being moved in the middle of the night. Mildred did? Mildred did. Okay. She also said that strangers that would stay with them would ask why the servants would turn out the rooms beneath them at such an unusual hour, which basically, you know, I guess they were hearing stuff down there Mm -hmm. and thinking, of course, there was nothing going on. She said sometimes the doorbell would ring and there would be absolutely nobody there. Mm -hmm. I was more amazed that there were doorbells in the early or late 1800s. Maybe it was a ding dong ditch. (laughs) No. Maybe so. But I, I'm guessing that that wasn't an electric doorbell. It was probably one of those that you just ring. You oh, know, you spin yeah, and ring. yeah. One of the spirits that she encountered there was known as the Red Lady. She's been uh, described as a very tall woman in a red dress. She's been seen carrying a dagger in one hand, and she's kind of got her hand raised uh, as if she's ready to either defend herself uh-huh. or cause some trouble or something. She's got some kind of a strange glow that just kind of surrounds her Mm -hmm. and uh, people that have encountered her will tell you that they've experienced an immense coldness that filled the room as soon as they see her it was thought that she was you know i don't know how they figure all this stuff but she was a woman that was captured by the o'carrolls and raped a baby was born as a result and uh, it was killed by the o'carrolls because they couldn't didn't have enough to be able to feed the baby and the woman was so distraught that she killed herself using that same blade that they used to kill the child. Yeah. But I don't know how they see a ghost. There's not really good record keeping back in the 15, 16, 1700s. So I don't know why they would, where this story would come from. I'm not yeah. saying it's not what happened, but I'm just curious. How do you know the backstory that this lady and well, she was raped and know, she had a baby? Once, and it starts, once you start something and it grows and it grows all into something, you know. Like how Barney cut his finger and all of a sudden he was dead. It just always comes back to Andy Griffith. It does, it? because it's the truth. Once the rumor gets started and it grows and it grows into something that it never was. So Mildred Darby also described some uh, paranormal activity that she said she experienced. She said something heavy would lie on people's beds and snore. Hmm. And they would feel the weight of like a great body pressing against them. So they didn't really bother anybody, just went to sleep and started snoring. Yes. She said, in the priest's house, there's a burly man in rough clothes, like a peasant. He always pushes a heavy barrel up the back staircase, uh, back near the servant's Mm -hmm. bedroom. And when the barrel gets to the very top of the stairs, it rolls back down. And before it hits the bottom, the person and the barrel just disappears. What? That sounds like Donkey Kong to me. <laughs> what a, is that? I mean, what does that even mean? I have no idea. Do you like to? Do you just like to see it roll back down the hill? And see, that's the, the thing about it is, is you want to be able to say some of the stuff just doesn't sound sounds like it's made up. But I mean, that almost sounds too crazy to be made up. Yeah. 
I mean, who comes up with, you know, that kind of stuff? He rolls a barrel up the top of the stairs and it watches it go backwards and disappears. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't so. waste all that time rolling it up the dang thing. <laughs> but also in the priest house, there's a monk who walks through a window and then out of another window. Hmm. That's skills. <laughs> the priest house today is still an empty shell because when they had the fire in 1922, that's just one of the buildings that's never been renovated. So oh, it's still, the outside's there. Still but it's, there, yeah. but nothing on the inside. Right. So it's not been restored since the fire. Other experiences that the Darby's incurred was in the murder hole room or the muckle hole room. That's another name for it. So it's the same room. This is strange, though, because nobody knows exactly where that room is located. So here's the possibilities. And then I've got a third possibility. So the two possibilities is either it was in the north wing or the south wing. Now, the murder hole in traditionally would be in, in an area of the castle that was guarding the entrance. Mm-hmm. So when they built the Gothic wings, um, they kind of had to remove sections of the A and the B entrances. So it's possible it could have been there Uh and it was just removed. So that's why nobody can find it now. Oh, that makes sense. It's also possible that it could be the uh, oubliette because that would make sense. That was called the murder hole. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're going to end up finding out. Because when you hear some of the her stories later, I think that's almost definitely what it's going to end up being. But also, there uh, there's some ties of the story that we're getting ready to talk about to the the murder hole or the uh, the priest story that we told a little bit earlier. So Mildred told a story about an experience that she had in the murder hole room. That's where all this came about to begin with. She said she kind of hung her hand off the bed. And she snapped her fingers to, to call for her dog, and a hand suddenly grasped her hand. She said it was a cool, soft hand. It was definitely colder than what her own flesh was. You could just tell just by the grip. She said after a few seconds, the hand just kind of let go, and you heard an immediate slide and fall, as if a large body just collapsed to the floor in the front of her bed. Whoa. She said she heard a groan and half-articulately said words, which were more like a prayer. And she said that uh, it didn't put, you know, she don't put any guests in that room anymore because of that. Oh, really? But it didn't sound like it was a mean thing. No, but she said that she had had other people complain, mm-hmm. and that's why she was staying there. She went there just to see if she had similar oh, so situations, she could and it. she did experience it. And we might find out a little bit later why she might have experienced so much stuff here. Okay. So she said the room was called the murder hole, and the story goes that there's a stain on the floor, and that stain is blood. And she says that it came from a, a man that got stabbed by his own brother. It was two O'Carrolls, and they were fighting pretty much over you know, who owned the castle. So the room hadn't been used for 50 years or so before they started doing these renovations. She said the stain had been planed off of the boards several times, but always came back. So when they say planed, I guess uh, like a wood plane where you mm-hmm. shave off like the top of it. Like shave off the top, but it came back? She said that it, uh, she said it had been, came back several times. And it kind of creeps up from below in just a few hours after it's gone. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And she's not the only owner that have had experiences at this place. So Peter Gerard, he was the owner of the castle for a few years before Robert, uh, for Peter Bartlett, the guy I was telling you that yeah. I didn't really mention. His mother stayed there one night at the castle. She had some kind of dance or something she was invited to. So she spent the night there. 
And uh, she said that she really couldn't sleep at all the whole night she was there. And that she felt like there was something hovering over the end of her bed. Mm. Peter Bartlett uh, wasn't very specific. Now, he was the guy that bought it afterwards, the one that passed away in 1989. He wasn't really specific, but he told a friend that he had some uh, an incredible amount of paranormal activity that occurred during restoration. So that's pretty much all we know. But we know he had something because yeah. he, he felt the need to mention somebody. So then you got Sean Ryan, the musician that bought the place. He's the current owner. He said that he'd had uh, he'd heard chants coming from outside the castle, and he went out there and there was nobody there. So that was one of the things. And then he said he'd also heard his name called in the castle Whoa. when there was nobody else there. That would freak me out so bad. Sean Ryan also experienced his share of poltergeist activity while he was doing some renovations to the place. Because you know how that always goes. The renovations always, always make everything more things. active. Yeah, yeah. So he said that his tools would be moved from one corner of the room to the other just long while his back was turned. <laughs> get back and they're all the way in a far corner. He had a carpenter that was working for him. And, and Sean said he just suddenly left and didn't come back. And he gave no explanations on why. I mean... You know, in that situation, I can see why he wouldn't come back. It's, I guess that they think if they tell why they aren't coming back, maybe you people think they're will nut think they're nuts. Or yeah. Now, Sean continued doing restoration on his own, but that was kind of halted suddenly when the ladder he was working from was pushed away from the wall, forcing him to jump from several stories. Oh, my. This caused him to fracture a knee. I bet, yeah. Once he was able to get back to work, he resumed the work, and another accident resulted in a fractured ankle, <gasps> so he no longer does stuff himself. Oh, my gosh. Now, the bloody chapel that we spoke of before is home to many of the spirits there at Lip Castle. People who pass by it at nighttime report seeing light streaming from the upper windows. These occurrences have been reported ever since the Darbys lived there. No and they kidding. moved out in 1922. Even when it was burned out and there was no electricity, nothing oh, in there. Oh, they still saw Passerbys would still see lights beaming oh, wow. from that area. Even today, neighbors will call um, Mr. Ryan and tell him that there's a strange illumination coming from the mm-hmm. upper levels. Well, I wonder what he says when they call. Uh, probably quit calling me. I know. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'm tired of this. Lose my number. That's what I would say. <laughs> So let's discuss a few more ghosts here at Lep Castle. You got two young girls that are seen on a regular basis, usually in the main hall running up and down the stairwell. It's believed that they lived in the castle during the 1600s. One of the girls, Emily, she died at the age of 11 after a fall from the castle's southeastern um, battle area. People on the outside of the castle have reported seeing a little girl fall from the roof but disappear before she hits the ground. Mm, That's disturbing. The other little girl is known as Charlotte. She's been seen with a deformed leg that drags backwards behind her. Oh, poor thing. Mildred Darby, as we've talked about before, keeps popping up. She also saw this little girl. She said she was standing by the fireplace one night. She was um, in bed with her daughter. Mm -hmm. And daughter was asleep, said she woke up and she saw this little fair-haired girl, long hair. She was standing by the fireplace. She had one hand actually leaning on the fireplace, and the other hand was just kind of Mm -hmm. dangling. And uh, she said at first she thought it was her little girl. So she 
reached down her hand and she felt that her little girl was still there fast asleep. And then when she looked up again, the, the, the thing was gone. was gone. The girl yeah. was gone. Then there's another little ghost that runs around this place. But this one's an adult. It's another woman spirit. And uh, she's been called by Mrs. Darby as a murder victim. She thinks that she's another murder victim of the O'Carrolls. I want to mention, too, while we're in this, Mrs. Darby was also an author. Mm-hmm. And anytime I have authors that have all these stories, it makes me wonder how much is true, true, how much is them just being really creative because they obviously are creative or they wouldn't be an author. Of course. So, anyway. So, this lady that she talks about, she thinks she's a murder victim. She said she's got a very few clothes on and has a red cloth over her face. She screams loudly twice and then disappears. Now, Sean Ryan, the current owner, he says that he's also heard this woman screaming. So we at least got two people that have seen that. So Mildred's story, talking about her, she says she was talking to her nanny one night. And she said goodnight. She opened the back door to the staircase and she heard somebody coming up the stairs behind her. Just kind of slowly. And she said, she kind of looked and she said, this lady walked past her. She then got to the window at the end of the hall. The lady screamed. She said then there was a reenactment of two O'Carroll brothers fighting over a love, a lost love. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe I guess that was the girl. And then they basically chased her down the hallway and stabbed her. And she said then the entire hallway just kind of lit up, oh. even though there was no lights on. No way, man. I'd be out of that house quicker than snot. <laughs> So there's a nanny who frequently is, is seen in the main hallway of Lep Castle. She's seen several times with Emily and Charlotte, the two little girls. Mm-hmm. Visitors apparently interact more with uh, them than the current owners do because they really haven't seen much of her. But there was a friend, just to show you how this works, there was a friend of Ryan that apparently came over there for lunch. And I guess he was a neighbor who was very skeptical and didn't believe in any of that stuff. He was over there with another young lady. And uh, they were sitting by the fire eating lunch. And they noticed out in the main hallway, there was a, an older lady in Victoria, the Victorian dress. Uh-huh. And she walked diagonal across the main hall. And this gentleman and his friend both saw her. And then when it became obvious that there was no woman in there other than them, uh, especially nobody in Victorian clothes, uh-huh. this guy suddenly became more of a believer that there may be paranormal activity out there. There's a little old man with a green cutaway coat, knee bridges. Nice. Mm-hmm. I knew you would like that. He's got um, very bright shoe buckles. He holds a leather bag in his hand. And sometimes he's seen with a little old woman with, with skinny fingers, skinny hands, long black mittens, an old dress, and uh, a big headdress. Mm-hmm. Both are sometimes seen with an old priest with a very intense look on his face. So those apparently are seen quite often around there. The old man tries to stop people. I I wonder why. I don't know. Maybe just wants to talk or tell him he's tired of wearing green and britches. Aww. I've seen this little old man at home today. And he shuffled just like daddy does. And it was the cutest daggone thing. I don't know why I went there, but he just popped up in my mind. He was so dang cute. <laughs> I'm glad you had that. I don't know. I just thought about that when you were talking about that old man. And then we have the most interesting spirit, 
which is the elemental. The elemental what now? The elemental. The That's elemental. It. Yeah, okay. you're Watson. What? No, what's <laughs> elementary? Either way. So the elemental is one of the more intriguing spirits, we'll say. He resides there, and the entity is shrouded in mystery. The first actual occurrence of anybody seeing this thing is not known. Uh, We don't really know what it is, Mm -hmm. who it's supposed to be, where it came from, or any of the occurrences. Or, you know, when when it first started having occurrences. But there are several different theories, and we're going to discuss some of them. Now, like I said a few seconds ago, there is no exact time of the first appearance, and it's unclear, but there have been some vague mentions of a troublesome spirit here ever since the early days of the castle. So one of the early beliefs is that it was put there by the Druids long before the castle was even built to protect the sacred site that was used for the initiations, and there was also used for magic there. Mm -hmm. Local myths say that the elemental is the spirit of an ancient O'Carroll, who died in the castle from leprosy. Now, this is said to be the reason for the decomposing facial features that we will talk about shortly, and the horrible stench that accompanies the presence of the spirit. There's a stench with the spirit? Yep. So it's said that our old friend Mildred Darby also dabbled in the occult. Go figure. Mm -hmm. She's got all these stories, and now we find out that she's also done that. Now, her activities were more focused on seances and automatic writing. But some people think that she either awoke or summoned the elemental. So before we go further in there, let's talk about an elemental, because I just kind of went into it about there's an elemental, and some people may not know what an elemental is. That would be me. Well, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people. So the elemental is is thought to be a primitive-type ghost that either attaches itself to a particular place or a person but usually a place. It's often malevolent, terrifying, and unpredictable. Usually, they get their power from nature. Fire, earth, water, air, whatever the element is, that's what they can do. So, like, mm-hmm. for example, some people think that that element, uh, elemental was put there to burn the place from within. Oh, which, interesting. So that, would, that elemental would get its power from fire. Uh-huh. But that's kind of how that works. So... Um, Elementals like can be gnomes. Gnomes can be elementals. Fairies uh, could be something like mermaids, unicorns. All those can be elementals, but mm-hmm. they derive most of their power from nature. Oh, creepy. So, here's where we're at. It was about this time that the horrific discovery in the Obliette, three cartloads of bones, approximately 150 bodies, were discovered. Now, that's a huge release of, of emotional energy that's linked to those spirits that are down there. That may have been enough to to wake up an mm-hmm. elemental if it was yeah. laying dormant. So whatever it was, it only seems to make itself known to people who provoke it. So the current owner, who's lived there since 1991, has never felt any kind of sinister presence at all. Now Mildred, on the other hand, she wasn't so lucky. She provoked it with her occult activity. So what I want to do is she gave a description of what she saw, and it's pretty graphic. Oh. So I thought rather than me just paraphrasing, I'm going to read you the exact quote that she said. Tracy, would you like to try reading this or with your Irish accent? Yo. Okay, then I'll just do it. Okay, thanks. 
So this is what Mildred said, and she actually wrote this in uh, a, a something called the Occult Review, and she wrote an article, and this is what she put in it. She said, suddenly, two hands were laid on my shoulders. I turned around sharply and saw, as clearly as I see you now, a gray thing standing a couple of feet from me, with its arms bent, raised as if it were cursing me. I cannot describe in words how utterly awful this thing was. It's a very undefinableness rendering the horrible shadow more gruesome. Human in shape, a little shorter than I am, I could just make out the shape of the big black holes like great eyes and sharp figures, but the whole figure, head, face, hands, and all was gray, unclean, bluish gray. Something of the color and appearance of a common cotton wool, but oh, so sinister, repulsive, and devilish. My friends who are clever about occult things say that this is what they call an elemental. This thing was about the size of a sheep, thin, gaunt, and shadowy in parts. Its face was human, or to be more accurate, inhuman. It's in its vileness, with large holes of blackness for eyes, loose slobbery lips, and thick saliva-dripping jaw, sloping back suddenly into its neck. Nose it had none, only spreading cancerous cavities, the whole face being a uniform tint of gray. This, too, was the color of the dark coarse hair covering its head, neck, and body. Its forearms were thickly coated with the same hair. So were its paws, large, loose, and hand-shaped. And it sat on its hind legs. One hand or paw was raised, and a claw-like finger was extended, ready to scratch the paint. Its lustrous eyes, which seemed half-decomposed and looking incredibly foul, started stared into mine, and the horrible smell, which had before offended my nostrils, only a hundred times intensified, came up to my face, fitting me with a deadly nausea. I noticed the lower half of the creature was indefinite and seemed semi-transparent at least. I could see the framework of the door that led into the gallery through his body. Well, dang, that sounds crappiest. I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> How about that for descriptive? Ooh, that's, yeah, nothing I want to meet for sure. So... And and she goes on to say a whole lot more. I just wanted to get the description out there. That's, wow, that's quite a description. It is quite a description. Keep in mind, she's an author. That's very true. But I, I want to touch on something we talked about a little bit ago. Remember I said they were talking about they couldn't find out where the mur murder hole room was. That just sounds so horrible. <laughs> murder hole. But So they said they didn't know where it was. But if you listen to her description... She said that there was a stain, and supposedly a brother killed another brother there, brother there and everything. That sounds to me like it's the bloody chapel. Yeah. I mean, that's the room that sounds like to me. Ooh. So, I don't know. I'm no Sherlock Holmes, but. Mm -mm. Wow, that's craziness right there. So, All over a stupid castle. A stupid castle. A bunch of daggone rocks. <laughs> Sitting on top of each other with pointy things. It's a pretty cool ass looking castle though. Yeah, I guess. So. Anyway, we want to say a big thank you for all of our iTunes reviews this week. Molinek, GG5557890, CoffeeBean99, MRCPFII. Thank you for 
giving me hard stuff to read. <laughs> Jesse Umberhant. I think this is Right It Christian Girl, mm-hmm. Cooking Zombies, Andy's Mammy, Rick the Click, Rochetta78, Alina315, and Tim Walsh. Thank you, guys. You so are amazing. T.M. Walsh. Sorry. Well, oh, that's probably right. I don't want to make you Tim if you're not Tim. It could be Tom. <laughs> we thank appreciate you guys. you guys so, so much. Yep, we love it. You guys are awesome. Patreon supporters, thank you so much. Juliet Brown, Denise Kaufman, Liv O'Neill, Corey, Glory uh, McClure, Melissa Potter. Thank you guys so much for your patronage. It means more than anything. And I've got a couple quick, quick things I want to talk about real quick. We have live events. We've got three to kind of talk about. We've got October 20th, Graveyard Tales, EVP Mediums, Macabre Melts, and us. Nashville, Tennessee at Hale, Nashville. This place is phenomenal. $10 a ticket. It's going to be about three hours of just being able to hang out with all of us. Us telling some stories and a bunch of pictures and just shooting the breeze. It's going to be fun. Oh, heck yeah. We're looking really forward to that meeting you guys. So I hope a bunch of y'all come out. The next week, we're in Cincinnati, Ohio. And some of us will probably sneak out to Bobby Mackey's afterwards if that... uh, Helps entice you to come along. And there's a bunch of other cool stuff we're going to do. I know Dean and Marie's talking about face painting and everybody's supposed to be, they're going to try, you don't have to, but they're trying to get people to wear costumes and stuff if they want to. It's going to be a really cool event at, uh, and that one's at a place called, I think it's a Fireside Grill, I think is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's a very cool place and it's, it's going to be a super nice atmosphere, better than any of the live events we've done, because it's mm-hmm. going to be a lot more private mm-hmm. and uh, into a, our own little special room, so nobody will have access to it but us. be really cool. So that's October 27th. Good food. Same thing. $10 tickets there. It's us, Twisted Philly, and the Ohio podcast. That's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. Because I already know we're going to have like a bigger speaker system there. We're going to have... Uh, um, what do you call it? A projector, mm-hmm. maybe some PowerPoint stuff and all that. Not just from us, but I know the other people are going to be using it. So it's going to be a really cool event. Yeah, it'll just be fun to hang out with you guys. We can't wait to meet you. We are looking forward to this. Then I got a buddy of mine from Daniel Digsit. We are now a sponsor for an event that's happening in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. So if you're unfamiliar with the area, it's in between, um, or right outside of Fort Knox, but it's about 45 minutes south of Louisville. And man, I can't even begin to, this is, this is the one of a kind event. It's called resurrection of the bands. And let me tell you what this thing is. I posted a link on our Facebook page. Never have I heard of an event like this. So what you got, you're going to have a paranormal activity set up with bands. So what we're going to have is three local bands and each band is going to play three songs of uh, cover songs of a member of a band that's deceased. So I don't know what what uh, artists they're going to be choosing yet, but let's just say hypothetically it's Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, and I don't know, John Lennon. We'll just use those three. So they're going to, what the, the first band to come out, they'll play three songs by an artist who's deceased. And then we're going to have uh, some ghost hunters out there, some paranormal investigators that will have spirit boxes, EVP session. And there'll be a 20 to 40 minute paranormal uh, basically just love fest out there trying to see if we can connect with that artist now that we just played three songs others out there and people are clapping people are cheering can they channel the the spirit of that artist oh, through dang, the music that would be amazing so 
that's going to be really cool. And like I said, we're sponsoring that. Uh, we're going to try our damnedest to be out there. It's going to be tough because it's on a Thursday night. That's October 25th. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the details, I'll get the details out to you. But man, if you guys can check this out, I think it's going to be a really cool event. And I've never heard of anything like this. So Me either. I'm kind of excited about it. So that's what we've got going on in the live uh, realm, so to speak. Got a lot of good stuff coming up, and like I said, we look forward to meeting all you guys. I hope you all can come out and join in the fun. So thank you guys so much for everything you do. Thank uh, Tim, Natasha, and uh, John for everything they do in our Facebook group. It means the world to us, and uh, we will see you guys soon. Thank you, guys. We love you. I hope you all have a great week. Hey, Hillbillies, if you guys enjoy what we do here on the show every week and appreciate all the hard work we put into it, consider being one of our Patreon supporters. All you got to do is go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com, click on the tab for donations, and you'll see the Patreon link right there. Click on it, and you can go to our Patreon page. Then you will have a decision to make. You can choose the $1.00 the $3, the $5, or the $10 donation. Each one gets you different things a month, but regardless, you get some free stuff. Just check out the bonuses under each tier, and you'll see what you get for free for that month, but you'll get something free regardless. Also, if you'd like to buy any Hillbilly Horror Story merch, you're also in the right place on the website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Just click on the store page and see whatever it is that you like. Click on a few links, send a little bit of money, and your item will be on its way. Thank you guys so much for all of your support. We love you, we thank you, and we appreciate you.